1: Welcome back guys to part two of this freaking hot spicy passion packed episode with the award-winning sexologist and author Jaya. So if you're wondering why your sex life isn't as satisfying as it could be or as you wished it was or as you dreamt it could be then we're here to unpack all the erotic, kinky and taboo topics and areas and ideas around sex and help you create your best freaking sex life that actually makes you feel like you're on fire. So whether you're feeling shame, rejection or a dip in confidence due to mismatched turn-ons and desires in the bedroom, then you'll have all the central knowledge you need to start building a bridge of passion to you and your partner and your own pleasurable nights. So let's dive in to part two. Get the kids out of the room, guys, if you have any, because this is going to be spicy with my girl, Jaya, on Women of Impact. Mm. And so how do you um, then know, because you you were saying, right, it's like there's one part that can be potentially the conditioning that Mm -hmm. we've been taught that this is bad. And so you're like, I won't do that. Versus I just haven't enabled myself to let go of that shadow side. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, so this is where the healing comes in. So we talked about feeding, speaking, and then there's healing so that shadow side and being able to really go okay wait a minute there's something here that i now have as a program or a condition that came from my life circumstances or life events maybe it's time for me to look at those things and and really see what can i do to overcome that programming and that conditioning. But the shadow can have different aspects, not just our psyche, emotional aspects. It can have physical things like scar tissue from childbirth or pelvic floor tears, something like that. Um, You know, going through life changes that can cause a biochemical change. So there's also biochemistry that can affect it. And then bioenergetics. So we're bioenergetic before anything else. So what's happening in the the body system and the energy system and in our emotional systems that are creating these shadows? And how can we bring the unconscious material with sexuality conscious? So working with bioenergetics, I'm, I'm looking at the other three realms too because they all uh, affect each other so if like somebody has scar tissue in the midline it's cutting through the energetic meridian in the front of the body so we want to know that like okay because that's going to affect libido that might affect sensation and we want to work with that so I'm I'm it's like I'm an erotic detective a lot of times in the shadow realm because it's like okay let's let's see let's find this let's like really dig and and look at all these different areas to see what could be the original cause because once we get to the original cause then we can start to unravel it so for example scar tissue if I find that that can be affecting the whole system and then we're gonna do castor oil massage castor oil breaks down ricinoleic acid so for anybody listening who has scar tissue and and that maybe that's causing pain so and is it usually
1: scar tissue in the stomach or it
0: can be. Um, you know, C-section scars, episiotomy scars. It's a lot of what I work with when we're looking at scars. I never thought that that connects to your, like your libido and whoa. Yeah. And I see that frequently. I was actually working with a client last year who had had a surgery and was having trouble with erectile function and just couldn't understand. I was like, as soon as I heard about the surgery, I was like, there we are. And we did Whoa. a couple scar tissue things and like helped with his mental. Cause what starts happening is like, Oh, first time I don't, something wrong happens, then the brain starts to spin. Mm-hmm. Right. And so once we cleared all of that, then he was fine.
1: Yeah, I had so many gut issues for a while, like really bad gut issues, that I was having a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really put the two together because I was like, well, the vagina and the gut is two very right, different parts right. of the body.
0: N- nope, it's all connected. It's fascinating to me how how something in the gut, exactly, and then how that's affecting the whole system. That's yeah. when I very
1: first heard about pelvic flooring because I was like, what the
0: hell is that? Right. Do you
1: actually mind explaining it if no one at home knows?
0: Yeah, so pelvic floor is the the muscles that basically are like holding all of this and so in our erectile tissue is between the pelvic floor which i love because as soon as you're squeezing and getting these different layers of your pelvic floor strengthened then you're squeezing the entire erectile tissue Mm. and so you can give yourself orgasms just by strengthening and getting resilience but i i really like to think of it like there's strength. Because sometimes we can over just like any muscle, if you like overtrain just one muscle Mm -hmm. and you also don't have flexibility and you don't have resilience in that muscle, then we need to also have resiliency. We need to have flexibility. And so tissue that's resilient is like when you touch it and then you can see that it it responds to that touch in a certain way, as opposed to like it's mushy. Mm -hmm. You know, so we want that resiliency or does it bounce back? Does the elastin bounce back? And so we want all of these different things within the pelvic floor. So even just as we're sitting here, we can, I do pelvic floor exercises all the time. And part of that is just to get my sexual energy and my aliveness going. It's like a pump Mm -hmm. and it's fueling your whole body. And so these different layers of muscles. I, when I was 19, I was like, I'm going to learn how to move each layer. I'd isolate each layer in my pelvic floor. Whoa. So I started just like, okay, these, these are the ones that stop the flow of urine and let me like pay attention to Like get just these. Okay. Here's the anal sphincter. Now let me get the anal sphincter online. Now, now here's high in the vaginal canal near the cervix and now can i can you have i control m- that move all of that and then i started what? to wave them <laughs> like i became obsessed when i was 19 years old this was you know i was destined to be a sexologist i guess
1: and from the age of 13 i think you yeah, said right yeah. this is amazing <laughs> i can't believe you had
0: that much control um okay so thank you for explaining uh, that so and that that changed so like when i had my baby i lost like wow. i mean it was great that i had that control because when i was giving birth i could like push and do certain things when with that so it helped me a lot in that process, but you know, then I had to rebuild, and that was a whole other process and a whole other journey. Well, that's actually fascinating to think about. How many, if
1: you've had a child, then compared to before having a child, child, your blueprint ty- types change
0: because of that. They can, and I have seen this in my practice where a life event will cause the blueprints to shift. So, menopause, one, um, a big life crisis, something like that, or some kind of change, change in relationship can cause it to shift. Having a baby can cause it to shift because we're not just the blueprint. We're also the biochemistry. Mm. We're also what's happening to us physically. We're also emotional. And so all of that plays a role into, and that's why there's actually your blueprint type, but there's also the core erotic blueprint has, is taking into account these four things that I've been talking about in terms of biochemistry, bioenergetics, physical, and emotional.
1: Wow. Um, can you give me an example then for each of those?
0: Yeah. So biomechanical would be the scar tissue that I was mm-hmm. talking about, or let's say lack of flexibility, um, an injury that you've had in in some way that is is creating, like, I can't get into that position on my knees anymore. That would be biomechanical. And then biochemical is the hormones and the hormonal state. And, and so it's that's also the it's chemistry at- between you and your partner.
1: So, would that be like if you're, so that's why you say kind of things like menopause and stuff?
0: Yeah, or your testosterone's low. And I think a lot of women don't think about, oh, testosterone but having low testosterone is going to affect sexual function. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of the t-shirt study? No. No. Oh, I think I'm white. Explain it to me. Yeah, so the, in, in, chemics, in the chemistry between you and another person, there's a nerve in your nose called cranial nerve zero, and it goes to the sex centers of the brain. And so what it's doing though, I think is fascinating, is that it's reading the immune system of your partner with your immune system. So that if you were to have a child, you would have a child with a really healthy immune system. Mm-hmm. Now they did a study with women where they had them smell a T-shirt to smell the pheromones to see what would happen. And the women who are on birth control could not smell the signature of attraction of that that chemistry that they would have with someone who would create, because of the immune system, a best child, a strongest child. But then when they went off birth control, and so it was interesting because then I have women who go off birth control like, I'm not attracted to my husband anymore. And it's because of the pheromonal signature. So traction it has something to do with the chemistry with this cranial nerve.
1: And what about even like even the gut? Like um, so that, you know, the immune system, um, right. how would you, would that work both ways as well?
0: I would think so. Um, I, and the, and the interesting thing about gut health is the serotonin. And that, I think that that then plays a role mm. because if we look at like some of these these neurotransmitters and hormones in our body, serotonin is the bonding. Aspect, mm-hmm. and so if your gut health is all all affected, then how is that affecting the bonding between you and your partner? And we got dopamine, um, and even in orgasm, we're looking at also the phases, Masters and Johnson's phases with orgasm. Um, we've got acetylcholine, we've got dopamine, and I am a high dopamine woman, so I like. I'm like, have the orgasm, now get down to the next thing. You know, like that and that's part of my high dopamine phase is is that I like that variety. But if I was high serotonin, then that would be different or GABA. Like I serotonin and GABA are lower. In my body. And so that's always important for me to know is like, well, what's happening? And can I boost that so that I have more bonding capacity versus like, oh, new shiny object, Mm -hmm, you know, when I had one foot out the door. Okay. Well, wait a minute. Maybe GABA and some serotonin supplementation might help me then really feel all in with this relationship. Whoa, is that what you did then? You took some supplements? Yeah, well? I actually oh. did supplement because I knew my neurotransmitters and that I was high acetylcholine and dopamine, which is great because acetylcholine and dopamine are great for orgasm and for arousal. But then I the bonding side of things wanted to just supplement a little. And a lot of people don't have awareness in this area, except for the energetic blueprint, mm. has a lot of a lot of awareness, maybe not like cognitively, but they can feel it. They feel when something's off. They feel when something's not right. And so they, their hair might stand on end about something. And so you have to be really attuned when working with an energetic.
1: Is, there, is that where, like, would you have to have more communication in that if you're uh, an
0: energetic then? I think you have to have more communication that is body-aware communication. So there's the words we can use, of course, always have that foundation, but there's an attunement and a listening. I always say if I could teach people one skill, it's awareness. And people always say to me, like, Jaya, you have such an attunement, you have such an attuned touch. And that's from years and years of listening and learning to listen, not just with my hands, but with my being, that I'm there and I'm present with someone and, I'm listening for all the subtle cues all the time. And that allows me to be a really good energetic lover because I have that attunement, which not everybody has because we haven't been taught how mm. to have that level of awareness and attunement. Yeah,
1: because I can just imagine most of us, or a lot of us don't even know our own
0: body, our own sensations to get attuned with ourselves, let right. alone even getting in tune and with your partner. Right. Yeah. So it starts with you, really. I mean, can you even just like spend a, spend five minutes with your wrist? how often do we just even spend with a body part time? And so can you be so attuned to every little curve and the temperature and how things feel under your fingertips? One of the exercises I had to do when I was in massage school was we would put uh, hair in a Bible because Bibles have really thin pages and we would feel the hair through the page. And then they turn a page and then you'd have to feel the hair through the next page and then turn the page and feel the hair through the next page. So you're attuning your fingertips to being able to feel that hair with each page that they turned. And I loved that exercise because it really gave me this awareness in my fingertips now of being able to feel very subtle changes that are happening in someone's body. Stillness is so hot for an energetic it's where the orgasm often happens for them. So, if you have, have been having a lot of activity and then you just drop into stillness and you just drop and you breathe and you listen with your hands without any movement, there's so much happening.
1: Um, so, let's talk about the five stages then that mm-hmm. we, if people are listening right now, that they can go through.
0: So, there's five stages. That's first one is resting, and this is somebody who's not having sex. So, and this could be you're doing this by choice. Perhaps you're in a resting phase because you're like, I just need to take a break. I just need to practice some celibacy Um, or a spiritual choice that you're going to practice celibacy. Although what's interesting even there is like you look at like tantric Tibetan Buddhists and they would practice celibacy, but they had a consort that they would imagine was you know that, that they would make love to. And so sexual energy wasn't bad. It's not that it was bad. It was just a choice because they were doing a renunciate path and choosing as a monk not to have sex. So that would be a resting phase. Doesn't mean that it not, might not necessarily have sexual energy or eroticism to it. That's what I was going right? to say,
1: because if you're an energetic,
0: then right. you're still getting the senses. Exactly. You're still getting the sensations Right, yeah, just yeah. as much. I mean, somebody can hover their hand over you, and you can go into complete orgasm mm. just from that, or just from visualization or meditation. That's a lot of my practice, because I, I love that as an energetic. So what would you do? How, how do you avoid doing that then if you're in resting phase? For me, it's, I mean, I have a little different relationship because I've been practicing this for so long. But for me, it's, it's like a switch and I can just even just visualizing or shutting down my erotic energy, especially if it's like, I'm not going to walk around with my erotic energy in full bloom in the middle of Los Angeles. I mean, that might be interesting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but But, uh, you know, I, I kind of see it like a dial of I can turn it up, I can turn it down and I can, I can tune in that sensitivity, even the way that I dress. Like right now I'm a little bit more open, but if I'm wearing a hoodie or baggy sweatpants, like that might help me regulate that a little more.
1: If you own your own business, when an employee leaves your company, whether on good terms or bad... oh that's interesting so if you're essential is that because actually early you said though with essential just blindfold yourself Uh and now it actually accentuates your other senses absolutely so if you're essential
0: would covering up make a difference it could it depends on how you feel within that so if like my partner loves when i'm more covered up Mm. it turns him on more and so i know that it turns him on so covering up in the sensual becomes more of a turn on because I know that it turns him on. What <laughs> mm. is that type then if you're getting turned on by somebody else getting turned on? Oh, that's like, it's called compersion. And so compersion is when my partner is turned on, I'm turned on. Mm. And so I have high compersion. So when people around me are turned on, I'm just feeding on, that's partly energetic. I think that's also ties into my energetic. I'm just turned on because there's so much erotic energy in the space.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Okay, so you've
0: got resting. Resting, and then after resting, we move into healing. And so the way I see it a little differently. Have you ever heard of Ken Wilber? No. So he talks about stages and states of consciousness, and it has it's a similar modeling in that here a stage is more like we get fixed into it, and a state is where it's fluctuating more. And we really would love for these to be a bit more fluctuating, more like a state that you're moving through all day long, or you know throughout the month. But they can get stuck into being a stage. And so, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. They're not hierarchical. It's not like one's better than the other. Like I will consciously choose times of rest because I need that and and then it helps fuel me for the next evolution. Mm. Um, So as we go into healing, I was in the healing stage for example, after I had my son, because you can't have intercourse in that time because my body needed to heal. Or maybe you've had a breakup and you need time to really heal after a breakup. So that healing phase, again, very valuable. You just don't want to get stuck there. Right. Like, now I'm healing for the rest of my life, Mm -hmm. and I'm not reintegrating with my partner and my eroticism and my aliveness because I've shut down in some way. So... And again, I want to tell people, like, you're not broken. There's nothing wrong with you if you're in the healing or resting phase. You're whole and complete just as you are. And I think that's something people really worry about around sex. Am I broken? Am I wrong? Am I weird? Are my genitals okay? These are some of the questions that I get most. Yeah, or why can't I, you know, have an orgasm? Everyone else says it's so easy Mm -hmm. or or even just hearing me talk, then people may think, oh, well, I'm not having that kind of orgasm. Mm-hmm. And I like to share just because I like to share what's possible, but there's nothing wrong with you if you don't want to have ejaculatory orgasms or energetic multidimensional orgasms or, you know, foodgasms. There's nothing wrong with you if you're not having that. And any of it can be developed. And I, I say that because over all the years in my practice, I have seen people develop and cultivate these kinds of orgasms if you want to but there's nothing wrong with you if you're not having them
1: and i love that because especially the if you want to because that's what i'm always trying to do with my audience right like empower them give them the tips and tools mm-hmm. to then take this all information this freaking masterclass that you're teaching us right now right. and then deciding what's right for them how they feel but it's the feeling lost that i think is really disempowering for empowering for so many of us women especially you know um as more has been talked about to your point that you actually said earlier is like you're an expert you had all these tips and you still weren't getting it you just feel that shame
0: even get more heightened do you find then a lot of people get stuck in the healing phase yeah i feel people get do get stuck in in the healing they also get stuck in curious which is the next one which is i'm just going to learn about it and not actually do the thing i'm going to gather all the information (laughs) listen to all the podcasts read all the books but I'm not gonna actually put into action things. I mean, how many of us have courses and books on the bookshelf that mm-hmm. were maybe flipped through, didn't read, and then we don't put into action even more. So how are you taking this information, this content, and putting it into action? Um, are you using the healing phase as an excuse not to do things? Because it can, we wanna honor our bodies. This is where it's tricky. You wanna honor your body. You wanna honor where you're at. You don't wanna override yourself. But if you've been in the healing phase for a really long time, you may want to look at, wait a minute, what is my resistance to actually moving out of this phase? What's going on in one of those other four obstacles that we talked about, the bioenergetic, the emotional, the physical, or the, uh, the biochemical? I want to look at those and see, okay, now I need to move out of that. Uh-huh. Okay. So you've got the resting Resting, the healing, healing curious. curious, and then we go into adventurous. So adventurous is when we're ready to get out of the comfort zone. We're ready to go on the adventure, we're ready to do the things. So this may look like trying something you've never done before. It's going to that kink class when you're scared and, and learning about the rope tie. When, Ian and I were do- <laughs> when we were doing our forty forty project, we were going to classes all the time because, again, zero. I didn't have a lot of wisdom or knowledge in that mm. area. And uh, we went to rope tie classes. We went to different like dominance classes to learn, impact classes. We did a lot of study during that time. I actually studied with a dominatrix and uh, that was fascinating because I got to like in, in the field learning um, about what she did and like following her and apprenticing with her. And that was really amazing. Okay, so you got the adventures. Do you advise people watch porn in this stage or is like, if that feels like an adventure and it feels like it's something that you're use, using healthfully, where you're staying embodied. So it's interesting. This question of porn comes has been coming up a lot lately. And, um, you know, what do I think about it? How's the right use of it? And just like any tool what right use is mm-hmm. and so are you using it to go away from your partner and you're creating again that somatic groove that becomes a rut and a grave because it becomes your only path because there's so much shame about it or any of that are you using it to stay in your body or are you using it to dissociate from what's happening in your body are you doing it quickly and in shame in a way that now is creating again another somatic pattern in your body Or are you using it consciously and as a tool and then you can put down the tool? What if you
1: and your partner have let's say you're you're going down this adventurous phase um, but you just have different types of porn that you're interested in is it like experimental be open trying to be open to both sides mm-hmm. you can see that I'm just asking for a friend here right <laughs> <laughs> I'm like I need the storyline I need the firefighter coming in to save the woman
0: and my husband just wants to go straight to it yeah and that's blueprints again and I think it would be fascinating if somebody started a company where they actually like did all of the blueprints I yeah. think that would be really amazing amazing mm. Because we see so much of sexual and kinky mostly in mm. porn. There are some feminist movements within the porn industry that make more of a sensual porn. Mm. But, like, what would energetic porn look like? That's fascinating. You know, can we appeal to shapeshifters more and have like a variety within the erotica? But I actually love how you broke down the, um, the ways to identify
1: when and how you're using porn as a mechanism with everything that we're talking about. Right. It's just like
0: your vibrator, you Mm -hmm. know, And, and again, I come back to just like with food and quality of things in my life. Is it being created ethically? Are people being treated fairly? I think that's a really important thing to take into as you're looking at this genre. You know, are people being empowered or are people being disempowered? Mm, yeah, that's yeah. super strong. Um, okay, so after the adventurous, After adventurous is transformational. And this is when we get into the what's more about sexuality. So things what's like Tantra. Oh. Yeah, like, okay, sex just can't be for procreation or for pleasure. Like, what else is sex... What else are we utilizing sex for? If we're looking at sex as a tool, we've been talking about that. And I wanna expand the definition of sex because I think we haven't talked about that. And Mm. I think we have a limited definition of sex because the sexual blueprint is what we think of when we think of sex. But actually, if you look at what energetic sex looks like, it's very, very different than intercourse. So intercourse is not sex. Mm. I wanna peel that out. Really what sex is, is in your blueprint, how are you using that consciously for your own evolution and awakening? To me, sex, and this is my energetic speaking, sex is a tool for our own self-realization. Sex is a tool for us to know ourselves mm. even more deeply and to live more full ecstatic lives. What What's the problem with that confusion? I think the problem with that confusion is that it only takes into account one blueprint, the sexual blueprint. Mm. So then everybody else feels oh, bad, wrong, and broken. Right. For the way that they're utilizing sexuality, and so in the transformational stage, when you're in that stage, this also speaks to the stage that I'm in. I spend a lot of time in the transformational stage, is that sex then becomes this event or connection that is bringing me more positivity, is bringing me more wellness, is bringing me more wealth, is bringing me more more of everything, more of me into
1: me. This is, by the way, blowing my mind. I am loving everything you're saying. It's so freaking informative. Thank you. Um, And so now I'd love to dive into, are there ways that you have seen the hardest combinations of partners with incompatibility Mm -hmm. with the different types?
0: This is something that I talked about a lot in the book. There's a chapter just going through each compatibility of all the different Mm -hmm. blueprint types. What I think is interesting is that most people think that, oh, if I have the same type, that's going to be the best. Right. And it isn't necessarily the best. I think we're trying to complete ourselves erotically. And so we are attracting opposite blueprint pairings. And it could also be that the most people come to me have a mismatch. They're coming because they feel that mismatch in their eroticism. Sexuals and energetics tend to be the pairing that I see have a lot of difficulty and a, a lot of times it's because the sexuals, it's so physical. Sex is the physical act of intercourse. And then you got an energetic who's like, please just hover your hands over my body, or please just do really, really slow, light, attuned, present touch. And the sexuals like, no, 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 I want to go until you have an <laughs> orgasm. <laughs> so um, they really have a hard time. The sexuals have a hard time relating to how an energetic feels so much with just something like this. Mm. And the energetic has been shutting down for so long because the sexual has been coming at them. It's what it feels like. Mm -hmm. It's not that the sexual is actually coming at them like that. It's that the energetic feels accosted all the time because they're wanting slow attunement and presence and spaciousness. And what are the ones in that do uh, work the best together? I find the sensual and the kinky work really, really well together. And it's in, it's in my partner, so it's interesting to watch within him. I have the sexual energetic in me, and those two because I have them so much in me, I can watch them battle each other. My energetics like slow everything down. My sexuals like come on, let's get to it. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, so how do you navigate those? And then
1: how do you know?
0: Um,
1: do you is typically do you have like a primary?
0: Yes. So typically you'll have a primary blueprint and then a secondary blueprint, but you're really a mix of all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, Unless you have a zero percent like my partner and I did, you know, then you need to cultivate or develop or expand into that if you want to. Um, And so what I've done to reconcile this inside of myself is to allow my energetic more space, just like I would with a partnership. I have this partnership within me of energetic and sexual primarily. And so how do I have times where my sexual can just go for it? And how do I have times where my energetic can rest into something? Now that we've laid all that out, I'd actually love to break some myths. Because the myths
1: are the things that I think that we very much hold on to. And that if we can break the myths or combat the myths, then it can allow people to then go and explore the blueprints that you've laid out. Mm-hmm. So you've written these in the book, but I'd love to just go through some. So you put basic that something must be wrong with me if you're not having mind blowing sex or Um, And you actually say normal doesn't
0: exist. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, something's wrong with me if I'm not having mind blowing sex. No, what's often there is that you haven't figured out who you are. And it's not that there's anything wrong with you because we're all wired differently in the bedroom. So once you find out what your blueprint is, then you can start to work from there. Mm. Or something's wrong with me because my hormones are off. No, we can optimize hormones. Like there's there are so many things that you can do. Again, you're not bad, wrong, or broken. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Number two, the problem, uh, the problems in your sex life are because of your
1: incompatibility. It's not about being on different pages. It comes down to three things. You do not know who you are and what turns you on erotically. Yep. You are not communicating honestly about
0: sex. How many people do that? (laughs) A lot of people. I think there was a statistic I read once that said 76% of women are faking orgasms. And I was like, stop, 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 stop. We need to start communicating honestly about sex. Honesty is a huge turn on. It's an aphrodisiac. But if you're doing it harshly, that's different. You know, honesty done from the heart is a turn on, I'd say. And so this piece of like, why are we lying? Because it's not doing any other woman a service. You know, I I can't tell you how many men have come to me and they're like, well, nobody complained in the past. I'm like, Yeah, because we don't complain about it. (laughs) I think there's like a statistic,
1: right? If you've actually slept with this many people,
0: statistically
1: speaking, at least three of them have been faking
0: it. Right, right. So please, everyone, stop faking it. No more faking it. Please be honest in the bedroom because it's going to build more intimacy and your body's not going to shut down. Because if you're faking it and the person thinks that that's the right thing to do, they're going to keep doing that thing because they think that you're turned on by it. And then your body eventually is going to go, nope. Yeah, I think also to
1: your point where that person said to you, was like, every other woman's been, you know, been okay with it. I think it goes to almost like the confidence part of it because you you want to be a stud in bed. Like who doesn't want to actually be a stud in bed? I don't think right. anybody says they don't want to. <laughs> so, you know, you want to be that person. And so if you can't do it, now you start to think back to the other one where like, oh my God, I'm broken. I don't want them to know I'm broken. Right. That's going to wreck my confidence. So I'm just going to, you know. Right.
0: That's a really good point. So I don't speak up. Like what are all the reasons why we don't speak up? We don't want to hurt our partner. We don't want our partner to think we're broken. And then they're like, oh God, this is going to be complicated. Because we, we don't want to lose love. Mm. It really comes down to we don't want to lose love. So I just, I'll fake it instead or or I want to get it over with. And then once we get it over with, we can get on to the rest of the things that we're doing. Um, and that's a big one for sensuals. <laughs> <laughs> to want to yeah, get, I get back on to the things I need to get done. I need to get back to my to-do list. So I'll just do this and get it over with. And not saying anything about it instead of really taking the time that it takes to communicate and build that intimacy with someone. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Um, okay, number three, sex tricks and techniques will solve it all. Yeah, that's uh, we talked about that. That was a big <laughs> one. I mean, that was a big myth for me. I thought I knew them all. I knew them all. So I should be able to turn my partner on, but I didn't know his blueprint. Mm-hmm. That was what it came down to. Um, kinkiness comes from a pathology. This was a, an exploration with my partner and I because he was kinky. He kept thinking, what's wrong with me in my past that I am this way? What's wrong with me that I like these things that are outside the box? And I'll never forget, we went to this one coach and he said, why don't you just stop asking why you're turned on by it and enjoy it? And that was a turning point for us because then we we're like, okay, yeah. I mean, we haven't found anything in his history. Like, And th- and there's actually been some research done that people who participate in kink actually have healthier Communication ability and healthier skills just because they can talk about these things more Is easily. Is that because,
1: like, you're having, I, I went straight to like kind of bondage, really. I'm not sure why, but, um, like, you know, like safe words, and that all comes with like communication, yes, the yes. need of that communication. So to practice
0: kink safely, you have safe words. Of course, when it's done within a healthy container, these, Always, these are Always, yeah, right. thank you. Yeah. And so, um, you know, talking about your safe words, talking about here are my turn-ons, here's what's okay, here are the hard limits of what's off the table. And now we're in a much richer conversation about Ooh. sex, which a lot of people never even have. They go 40 years in relationship, and they've never had a conversation about consent. And so even if you've been married 20 years, 40 years, 50 years, let's have a conversation about, wait a minute, maybe there's something that's been on the table for us that we need to take off the table because we have assumed consent. Oh, now we're married. Now we have all this consent that is assumed. And and some people find consent not sexy. I think it's really sexy. Um, but some people find that like, oh, I don't want to be asked all the time. Well, then just have blanket consent. You don't have to ask me to touch me.
1: Oh, you're saying yeah. like
0: in a relationship. Yeah, or, yeah,
1: yeah. Because yeah, I think um, a big part is, is almost like feeling the obligation that because I'm married or because I've been with this person, I'm obligated to do this. How right. do you overcome that um, feeling of the obligation? Because the more obligated you feel that you have to have the sex, I would assume the less you're going to enjoy gonna, it. Yeah, and the less and you're going to speak up. Yeah, and exactly. it perpetuates
0: the cycle. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, I think that, the, again, these dyads, and I have a bunch of these in the book, but one of them is, is to sit down with your partner and start to open up the box of this communication, I often say, just blame me. I heard Jaya on this podcast (laughs) and (laughs) this woman, and she says, we should do this exercise. Like you can blame me for opening up that conversation, Mm. but also talking to your partner about what would have you feel safe to talk about sex with me. And one Mm. of my favorite dyad prompts is tell me something about you and sexuality. And then you can just start to open up the box. It doesn't have to be like a super tell me everything that you've never said to me heavy conversation. It can really be like a just tell me what you want me to understand about you, because I think we all seek to be understood. And in this, again, it's not a it's not a conversation. We really want to just go back and forth with the prompt and hear them and then say thank you if we understand. And it's that simple. And do that for 20, 40 minutes. Ian and I, my partner, we do this all the time where we will just sit and do a dyad on something business related or related to parenting so that we can understand more where the other person is coming from. And then maybe we want to make different choices out of that clear, effective communication that we just had. What what other prompts can you use in that? Um, in the
1: obligation that can allow mm. that now to really kind of like lift the weight of it because again you're so tactical and I love how you've got that in your book mm-hmm. um, and then it was interesting you said it's not a dialogue it's a back and forth yeah or it's not a conversation it's not a,
0: it's not a conversation because in a conversation we hear their partner say something we want to add something or we want to mm-hmm. ask another co- question about that instead we're just seeking to understand and we're making contact with them in a really deep way of giving them our presence while we're here And so, uh, one of the things I love is a relationship evolving dyad. So, there's three prompts in that. Tell me something you love about me. And so, it starts with tell me something you love about me because that right away builds this rapport with each other, it builds this connection with each other. It disarms because you're just going back and forth and sharing something that you love about each other. And then the next one is tell me something you want me to understand about you and whatever topic, or it can just be tell me something you want me to understand about you. So, in this case, we're talking about sex, or we could talk about, things you say yes to and really don't want to do you know so like we're not using the word obligation because i think obligation Mm -hmm. and sex together feels really icky so um tell me something you want me to understand about you and our sex life could be another easy one so there's a couple of different ways we put in there and that understand about you one, and then last one is tell me something you think we agree upon about sex or whatever topic you know that it is that you're working on and And you you both answer that and and see if it's the same yep and, and, and it's not necessarily about agreeing. So I think right. this is also really interesting. It's about understanding. So it's what you think you're agreeing on. And then it's like, oh, but I understand that. I don't necessarily agree about that, but I understand that. And I think that, that that's a really tricky one because it's like, okay, what, what do we agree on? But you may not agree that you're agreeing mm-hmm. on that, but you can understand them about why they're coming from that that's so powerful because i yeah. think especially as we're talking about like sex is so intimate
1: that it feels like well if you don't agree like can you actually make it work yeah
0: you can you can because it's what you are perceiving that you agree upon as long as you have an understanding of each other mm. and a willingness then you make it work yeah Oh, God, I love that. Um, And talk to me about the sexual mask. The mask is when we have a masking over because it's what we think culture and society tells us we need to do. And so a lot of men get a sexual mask because they think that that's what they have to be. Um, In the Netflix show in Sex, Love & Goop, the character there, I don't want to give away a spoiler, but... He has an arc because he had a mask on. And oftentimes it is just, it gets ingrained. Women get the sensual mask the most. Mm-hmm. And what I see is that men get the sexual mask the most. But what's underneath there, especially so when we start to get in the body, just like I talked about the kinky coming out. For a lot of men, the energetic actually starts to come out when I start to uh, get them into playing mm-hmm. the A-B game, which is something I go through in the book of just going through these different kinds of touches, here's touch A, here's touch B, which one do you prefer? I start to see a lot more energetic come up. Mm. And that's because you're basically taking the mask off. We're taking the mask off because we're going into the body, Mm. because it's what their mind has thought. It's their programming. It's the conditioning that they've been conditioned to be in. And we start to unravel that programming and then see what's the truth actually going on in the body. This is so powerful. So how much in everything we've spoken about, literally
1: my mind is swelling with information here. (laughs) I just have loved this discussion so much. How much have you seen this now really impact people's relationships? Mm -hmm. Because that the reason why i think sex is so important i think many of us including myself i was brought up in a very you know greek orthodox family where my grandmother would tell me that the baby was brought by a stork like she yep. actually <laughs> would say those words um there was no sex education in my school whatsoever and so i've just been learning about this all as an adult you know and the show is kind of a bit of a ruse to be, have people like you on to keep teaching me even though i've been in, you know married for 21 years mm. um and so really thinking about what are those elements that can help people have this beautiful relationship and sex being such a big part of it. Mm-hmm. How much have you found that these blueprints and people understanding them has really improved people's relationships?
0: It was really interesting when I first started, you know, I had my private practice and I started noticing these patterns show up, the five blueprints. And then I was like, okay, I think there's something actually here that could really help people because i started seeing like people who had struggle with arousal now were able to get aroused and how that was increasing the connection between their own partner and then i saw it in my own life of course between my partner and i and how it turned things around for us and so i remember the first time i spoke about it and everybody coming up to me afterwards like oh my god this makes everything make sense now like my my last relationship makes sense everything that we're struggling with my partner makes sense and so then i was like okay there's something actually really here and then i'd speak of the next thing and people would come up with wow this just completely changed my life and the way i'm thinking about work even like or the way that i'm thinking about my relationships with my kids because i'm noticing i'm forcing my daughter to hug me mm. and my daughter doesn't want to hug you know like she's an energetic and i have been non-consensually we thought something was wrong with her something like that where we start to see like there was a really big wave of impact and then when the Goop show came out, that was a whole other wave of impact because there were millions of people coming and taking the quiz and we were receiving all of this live feedback. And then we've trained 300 coaches. And so it it feels like my legacy. It feels like the thing that I've left the world. And I feel very complete at this point in terms of this is now something that's out into the world. And I hope that everybody has this book you know, on their bookshelf and that sex education, we even have it starting to go into high schools to have this sex education coming for people. Some of our coaches have gone into high school to start teaching. And that's fascinating because there's a whole difference in generations, which I didn't even realize it wasn't, age wasn't something we Mm -hmm. put on our quiz. And so then how do blueprints vary among generations is a really interesting, fascinating thing to think about as well. And what's going to be the impact on the world as this becomes a language around our sexuality? Because one of my goals was elevating sexual consciousness on the planet. And this gives us a way to start to talk about it and start to become self-realized people in this in this area that has been such a shadow and such a taboo and that we've had so much shame around. Yeah, God, when I think about, you know, like the love languages,
1: everyone loves them and everyone does the you know, takes the quizzes and, you know, same with like the personality traits. Mm-hmm. And yet that we've never had the sexual like types is so mind blowing and um is really impactful. And I think I said this right before we were rolling, but. I really believe this is the foundation of the book that everyone's gonna start to use when they talk about sex in a very healthy way. Like everyone's gonna come
0: back to you and this book. I really mm. believe that it impacted me that much. Thank you, thank you. That's what I wrote it for. You know, I wrote it so that we could start to have a wave where we can take this all out of the shadows and into the light of consciousness so that sex changes. I really think that's part of the darker aspects of sexuality come because we don't have frameworks we don't have conversations about it. And that allows that uh, those aspects that become neuroses or become mm-hmm. violent, you know, to proliferate because we can't have the conversations. Yeah. So you say that to have pleasure forever. What are the three things we need to do? Then? Three things. First is to know yourself, to know yourself. And that comes to the blueprints. Mm-hmm. So once you know it, you own it. I believe that we're each these unique beautiful expressions of consciousness just like a flower blooming and a flower doesn't become ashamed of its bloom because there's so much variety of flower it's like no bloom blossom be your fully expressed self because that is the gift to the world and so that's owning who you are as an erotic being and the last one is to live it and this came from a coach of mine you know he said Jaya, you've done all this work and it's time for you to just live like you know just live like you know and that is to now you integrate it into your life. And that's when you know that you fully embodied it and integrated these teachings and integrated your sexual awakening and integrated your sexual journey is when it becomes part of life. You're just living it. This has been such a pleasure. Where can be find you and your amazing book? So the book is available all over in, on Amazon, all the places, but you can go to the website eroticbreakthrough.com if you want to take the quiz, find out more. And then my, my website is jaya.love, L-O-V-E.